Hey everybody, you're very welcome to episode 21 of season 2 of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Ochter, and it's a real great pleasure to come and chat to you again. Special thanks to my guest last week, Professor Jim Lucy, and many thanks for everyone who's gotten in touch about that episode, who really enjoyed it and, uh, and got a lot from the chat with Jim. And we also would like to thank everyone for listening, downloading and sharing the podcast. And uh, we really hope it's helping people out there in these really challenging times. Uh, although things seem to be a little bit better, the vaccine rollout has certainly seemed to, to take hold. And, you know, we've had a little bit of nice weather. We seem to be getting out a little bit more, certainly lots of things opening up and some return to the old normal. And it's really great to see. So I hope you're all keeping well uh, and things are going well for you and looking forward to an enjoyable and relaxing summer. So on to this week's episode, I have a very special guest this week who I chat to, the Minister for Children. Uh, And it's a really unique opportunity to maybe get a chat with him about his experience of being in the role over the last year and the challenges that that he has faced and maybe get to know the man behind the post a little bit better and also to get an idea of what his plans are for the remainder of his term in terms of his vision for children's services in Ireland. So without further ado, and I'll let you listen to this week's episode. Anyway, on to today's guest. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest on this week's episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. This person grew up in Mulhuddard and was a long-time member of the Green Party, campaigning with Trevor Sargent at the tender age of 10. He completed a degree in law and TCD and worked as a lecturer in Griffith College while always remaining involved in politics. As he grew to the ranks of the Green Party, he was known for his views on inclusion and diversity. And so it was fitting that he would end up in the position he attained in June 2020 and where he remains today. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you all today to the current Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, and TD for Dublin West, Roderick O'Gorman. Minister O'Gorman, how are you? Hi, Coleman. Listen, thanks uh, Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. How are you keeping? I mean, as someone who started a job mid-2020, I, I moved over to, to UCD in September, mid-COVID, mid-pandemic, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tricky time to start a new role. How have you been or how has 2020 been for you personally and professionally? Yeah, well, certainly professionally, it's, it's been a fairly mad year in terms of I kind of took on two roles in terms of role as a TD uh, and then role as a minister as well. And, and uh, they're, they're, they're two separate roles in a way. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, very, very grateful to have them both. So, look, that's definitely been a, a learning curve. Uh, like obviously, I was elected in in early February. A month later, we're 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 locked down, and immediately the role of TD, which you know I was just starting to just get my my uh, my head around, changed very dramatically. In that there weren't sittings, everything moved online for that initial period, and then we had the program for government negotiations uh, during during that period as well. So it was just, I suppose, it was just a very abnormal time in both the professional, it was a new and abnormal time in the professional life and, and, and in the personal life. And obviously since taking up the role as minister, obviously just, I suppose, understanding the, the, the breadth and the depth of the department and the various elements and various issues that we, uh, we, we, we cover, uh, I suppose, an understanding of your role vis-a-vis TDs and, and the doll and, and both bringing in legislation, answering questions, your role in cabinet as well, which is absolutely essential because uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm minister in this department, 
government makes collective decisions and I'm collectively responsible for all decisions of the cabinet. So that involves, you know, reading those memos coming from the Department of Health and COVID and reading those memos from the Department of Finance on the, on the economic situation and, and having an understanding of, 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 of those as well. Uh, and obviously then, you know, my role is a, a TD and, uh, you know, I, I've been involved in, in politics for a long time. I was a councillor for, for five and a half years and I would be very much used to personally, you know, emailing people back, ringing people back, going out to visit people. Nay, you can't personally visit people, but, but B, you know, now I have staff now, which is a, a great, but it's also, it's just, it's strange for me. I, I suppose I'm, I think most people would say I'm a, a little bit of a control freak. I'm, I'm used to doing things myself. So it was, it was, it's strange now to, when people email me that someone else is kind of ans- answering on, on, on my behalf. So, you know, huge adjustment in, in any time of, of life. But with the extra stresses that that COVID has put on, kind of your your personal life in in that you know I'm, I'm lucky I I have a I have a house with a garden uh, myself and my partner lived together for for nine and a half years so you know I'm, I'm I wasn't isolated in the way some people were but still look you know missing uh, missing friends missing a small bit of socialization uh, I I wouldn't have seen my parents between uh, December and probably late April. So that's I think it's the longest I've ever gone without you know physically seeing them. Uh, so you know it, it's just you know it's a peculiar time for everybody. But you know it is worth saying, it even just out and about today, people are more positive. We we see the the announcements of of, of the opening up of the economy. We see the efficacy of the uh, of of the vaccines and the you know the the significant extent to which it's been rolled out. And look, I think we're all hopeful that. We'll, we'll get past the, the the variants that are that are obviously still a, a cause for concern and towards the end of the summer into into the autumn we'll be back to a a, a, a high degree of normality and, and as somebody I, I I confess I wouldn't be very politically astute about how to, so when you when you go from TD to minister do you stop being a TD or do you still do do you still have a no you're still, still a TD yeah still a TD so I'm I'm TD for Dublin West and I'm a, a minister as well so you kind of all your constituency responsibilities uh, and then you also have your your ministerial responsibilities as well and is the title it's quite a mouthful there's a lot of different yeah arms to it uh, is that new or has that, is that there with your predecessor as well it, it's a change that my predecessor Catherine Zapone she was minister for children and youth affairs so we've maintained all of that and we've added responsibility for um uh, equality and integration so that involved taking uh, areas from the department of justice so everything to do with direct provision uh, everything to do with the irish refugee protection program everything to do with kind of migrant integration uh, and then everything to do with equality in terms of some of the national equality strategies, national strategy for women and girls, the national LGBTI plus strategy. So they've all been brought into the department. So that's a, that was about 90 staff from justice transferred over into this department. And then later this year, responsibility for the delivery of disability community services will transfer to this department as well. So that's currently with the Department of Health so that would be all your community services for both physical and intellectual disabilities. We'll be responsible for, for those. Uh, and that's a significant change uh, as well. So the remit of the department has grown very significantly. And, you know, I think I think prior to uh, prior to this, its budget was about 
just short of uh, just just above a billion euro per year. Uh, when once disability has transferred over, it'll now have a, a, a budget of 4.2 billion. So kind of almost quadrupled in, in size in terms of budgetary uh, impact as, as, you know, one measure. It's huge when you think about the remit, isn't it? It, it, it really is covers so many areas. And again, things like children and direct provision, LGBTI, all that sort of stuff. It's huge. It really is. Yeah, and, it is. And, it, and it's, it's really exciting as well, because I suppose that that kind of theme of vulnerability runs through all the various groups that, that fall within the, 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 the ambit of this department. And I suppose I've always seen my role as just trying to bring the voice of, of the vulnerable to cabinet, both in terms of what we're doing in this department, but also, uh, you know, bring that voice to decisions that are made in other departments through through the, the the cabinet process. And Minister, I know you you're I read that you did a your PhD was involved in inclusion and and things like that as well. Wasn't it? it was, there was a studies that you did that had that interest. Where does that come from? Or where, where did you have you always had that or would that be part of the green philosophy or it it certainly comes from the green philosophy all right. Um, in my primary school, actually, I, I had two teachers, their husband and wife, the, the Keevenies, and they were very strong on kind of issues of, of social justice and fairness. And I, suppose, I wouldn't have called it social justice then, but it would have been fairness and, you know, the importance of um, the importance that, you know, you know, people who are, 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 are in different situations to ourselves are, are, are treated fairly. And that's always something that's kind of resonated with me. Um, you know, I... I I joined the Green Party because of my passion for environmental issues, and that's always a key element with me. But but the Green Party has always had that strong social justice element as well. And I suppose as the years have gone on, maybe that's the part of the Green Party I've maybe fronted perhaps uh, more than than on the environmental side of things. And you know, it, it's great that you know we you can have a party that is so dedicated to issues of environmental sustainability, but also recognises you know, uh, human sustainability as well and the importance of, of protecting the, the most vulnerable in our society and, and indeed on our planet. Um, and we ask all the guests, Minister, about their experience of childhood, uh, I suppose, in terms of, uh, I read you're originally from Mulhuddard, is that right, West Dublin? Yeah. And so growing up and experiencing being parented and going through school and education and I suppose, with a, an interest in politics, inclusion and a concern for the vulnerability. How was it? How, what was your experience like? Yeah, no, I, I you know, I grew up just outside of Mulhuddert. It was it was kind of feels like the, our next door neighbours were farmers back then when when, you know, West Dublin had had farms. It's it's a, it's a, it's very different out there now. But it was, you know, it was a lovely place to grow up. And that's really where I, my parents taught me kind of the, my love of the environment out there, kind of mucking around in streams and fields and the like. It, it was a brilliant place to, to, to grow up. And I, I'm an only child, so I think that, you know, uh, that when I meet other only children, you know, there's always that sense of the, the relationship with the parents is uh, just, I suppose, a little bit unique in terms of it's, it's just the three of you. Uh, so for, you know, when growing up, it was always just the three of us. So, you know, you'd be develop those, those, those close relationships with, with both your parents. And I went to quite a, a small country school out in Kilbride, just in, in Meath. And that, again, you know, was a small school. Um, it was, uh, you know, we had the opportunity with teachers who were interested in uh, going beyond the curriculum. So, so for example, when I was in sixth year, I, I went over to Warrington following the um, the bombings there that, that killed the two children in, in, in Warrington in uh, North, North uh, 
Northwest England um, because my, my teachers were really interested in, in supporting the peace process and that. So we did an exchange with, with children from, from one of the schools there. So that was the, those sort of things were, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky to, you know, be, be in a school uh, and to have teachers who were really supportive of, of that. And where was secondary school then for you? Yeah, I, I went to uh, King's Hospital. So that's just in, uh, in uh, Lucan, Lucan Parmistown. And were you border or day? Isn't there? Is there no, a... yeah, I, I was a day day people there. Yeah, day people there for the six years. And and the, the the space for political interests. And you were saying the importance of influences in your life. You know, people like the the teachers in primary school or people who would have taken an interest in those things. Um, would you would you say that there were there you ha- you were lucky in terms of the role models that you had? I, I was. Um, I was certainly in in primary school. I probably in secondary school. I probably wouldn't have been quite so maybe outwardly interested, you know, secondary school is a, is a, is a different time maybe. And, and, you know, everyone's kind of adjusting and growing up and, you know, uh, interests like that kind of, it, I, I kind of wouldn't have done so much on the political side during my time in secondary school. Uh, and once then I went on to, to university, I, I, I got, a, got a lot, a lot more uh, involved. Um, and certainly like, you know, my parents were, were always incredibly supportive, like, I think in terms of the the life and it's it's obviously it's a very public life and it's a you know can be a very stressful life I, I think they might have sometimes liked if I'd chosen that maybe stayed stayed out over in DCU and, and stuck with the lecturing but they've always been like my 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 number my joint number one uh, campaigners and posters and, and leaflet droppers so look, they've been incredibly in support of the whole way through were they political themselves no, no, uh, no, I don't. They, they weren't political. It's not that we, we discussed current affairs in the House that they had, you know, they had views on, on individual politicians, let's say. But I, I think they would have both viewed most politicians with a, a healthy degree of skepticism. And um, so they, I wouldn't have said either were, were certainly neither were party political in, in, in any way. And and when we're considering the, the, the minister of for children, uh, I won't go through the full title, but what does the day look like for the Minister for Children? Because I think I was thinking about this before I, we got to talk and I was saying, you know, there's so many different departments involved in children's lives. You've health, you've education, you know, does it involve yourself and the Minister for Education and Minister for Health? Is there a lot of kind of talking or conversation or are there particular fencing off areas that are, you know, in terms of that's an education issue, that's a health issue, that's a children's issue, or do you have a kind of an over umbrella remit or, or how does that work? Generally, a lot of the engagement between departments is done at official level. Usually, if if ministers are meeting, it's, I was going to say because there's a problem, but that's probably unfair, but there, there's a, 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 a an issue of policy that kind of has to be decided um, and that that officials kind of need guidance and, and sign off from from two or, or or more ministers, or it may be it's an issue that you know is is cross departmental by by way. So, for example, the issue of um, of, of surrogacy and uh, assisted human uh, reproduction that's something that obviously results in the child. So the Department of Children are interested in it. Um, uh, it's uh, a, a quite a, me, uh, a medicalized uh, process, so it's it's primarily regulated by the Department of Health. But the recognition of children and the various legal relations 
require involvement of the uh, of the Department of Justice and indeed the Attorney General's office as well. So, you know, myself, Stephen, Helen and the Attorney General would have met on that on, on, on a number of occasions. But generally, I think generally a lot of the work is done at, at official level. Um, but obviously we'd be informed of, 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 of what's going on at, at, at all times. Um, and uh, I, I suppose then, you know, you keep in touch with other ministers in terms of, you know, there might be an issue in another department that you're particularly interested in. And you might say to another minister, look, uh, will you keep me in the loop on that? And, you know, you, you, you communicate on, on, on those sort of things. And um, I suppose 2020-21 has been a particularly difficult year for children. And I think we can recognise that you know, the vulnerable population when it comes to COVID-19 are those with underlying conditions and the elderly, but probably the, the vulnerable population, I know it's affected everyone, but for lockdowns and rolling lockdowns and school closures and, you know, all the activities, how, how do you think it has been for children in Ireland? Uh, and we can only speak for our own country over the last 16 months. I think it's been extremely hard. Um, and I suppose I know this from I suppose anecdote in, in talking to, to and only now getting to maybe talk to children directly and, and parents uh, as, as restrictions have been has have been eased. But my department has done a lot of research throughout the pandemic, looking at its impact on children, looking at, the, at, at its impact on young people. I think we'd have had a very clear understanding that the closure of schools, particularly in 2020, was really difficult particularly for children maybe who have special educational needs or are from disadvantaged backgrounds or, or maybe have a difficult home life for whom that time of school is actually a bit of a, an oasis maybe uh, in, in the day. And so we, we would be very conscious of that through the work. And that certainly influences a lot of the work I do in terms of I would have been very clear in September about the importance of getting schools open. When we had the second wave in, in October, November, myself and obviously other colleagues would have been very much, we shouldn't shut schools, let's do our best. And then obviously in January, when that very difficult decision was taken, the correct decision, but it was difficult to shut schools again. In my own department, we're responsible for childcare and we managed to keep childcare open for the children of essential workers and for vulnerable children during the, uh, the, the entire January shutdown. Uh, and that was something we were very proud of, of, of being able to do we were only able to do it because of the support of service providers and, and childcare professionals up, up, up and down the country, but we were able to do it. Uh, and I think that was, that was a very positive step in terms of just recognizing the most vulnerable children and, and, and making provision for them. And I think it's been a year where we, we kind of, there's been so much uncertainty, you know, in terms of, uh, and children, you know, they, they finish up school for what, was supposed to be two weeks in March and then they went back till September then they went on Christmas holidays and get back till March and uh, there's a kind of sense to children and I've noticed that even in my own family they look to the adult in the room for guidance and uh, I've oftentimes then think we don't have the answers and so we look to the adults in the room which are yourselves in government almost as that and I was just thinking I mean it's phenomenal expectation and pressure the the especially when something like what you've just described there, there's competing views on what the right thing to do is and a real split in the camp around keep them open, close them, you know, the physical risks, the mental health risks and, you know, the debate going on. How do you cope with that? I mean, that's a really, it's a, a real pin of the, the pyramid, you know, where you are. I know you have a team of people helping you to make those decisions and all that, but it, it, 
it, it kind of there's there's no one for you to look up to. It's, you're at the end of the line in terms of the adult in the room, if that makes any sense. I suppose you, it is very hard, and there's particularly around some of the lockdown, the lockdown decisions, and then the reopening decisions. We got a lot of criticism for for the reopening that happened in December of last year. Uh, and obviously, if we'd known that the the first variant, UK variant, was coming, we wouldn't have done that. If it hadn't come, I think we would have been we would have been fine. And you know, I remember having con- conversations with people in November who were desperately depressed, des- desperately down, needed some sort of you know some sort something to look forward to. And like that, and I know that the Taoiseach was criticised for his like idea of a, of a meaningful Christmas, but I. I genuinely felt, and I still do, that you know we needed to provide some people with something uh, like that a, 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 at that time, and we acted on the basis of the the, the best uh, the medical evidence we had at the time, and obviously that obviously changed very dramatically as knowledge of the UK variant, you know, it has a, a, a more official term now, became known. So you work on the basis of the best. Uh, you, you always start with 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 the evidence and, and the advice you get from experts like, like Nethet, you do have to run that through some sort of a filter in terms of where people are at. Because certainly I, I remember when we, when we introduced the, the kind of the second lockdown in, in October and there had been that piece of advice to go straight to five, almost, almost out of the blue. And I, you know, we were criticized for not doing that, but I genuinely don't think people were, in the position, people weren't seeing the need for it right then. And I, I, I was very worried that people would just start to ignore it completely. And we'd had such good adherence during the, 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 first, uh, the first lockdown. So you start with the best uh, available advice, but you, you do have to kind of run it through the collective filter of the cabinet, you know, the, 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 the doll itself. Because look, you're, you're, you're always speaking with colleagues, both in, in, in the, on the government side, but also on the opposition side and, and getting senses. I suppose one thing, like I'd normally be out and about knocking on doors a lot, just uh, it was something I always did. And that's your best sense of, of what people are, are, are thinking. Because it will, obviously people email you and that's a, a good sense check as well. But often it's it's the people who feel maybe hottest on one or other side of things who, who email you. But if you just arrive unannounced at someone's door on a canvas, like even out of election time, uh, you kind of you, you get a real sense of where people are at. And just that that wasn't available to us uh, over over the last uh, the last number of months, the, the yeah, last I mean, year. It's so hard to gauge the temperature of of a culture, isn't it? In, in terms of mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there's a there's a, there could be a vocal minority, and you know, there's all that sort of you know, yeah sort of political opinion. But but you 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 would have your own supports to bounce things off. I mean, a, a tough day for a minister, I'm guessing, is a little bit more significant than a tough day for myself or someone, you know, in terms of the, because of the... the yeah, yeah, we, we, we built up a habit of going for a walk every night. So usually around 10, we go out for a walk and um, kind of hail, rain or shine. And uh, that, was, that was good, certainly in terms of just kind of get, helping me sleep at night. So do a walk and... Read uh, read a couple of pages of a, a reasonably trashy book. No 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 autobiographies to, uh, for for the nighttime reading. I'm a big reader, but just something a bit trashy at night, uh, just to kind of get your your head out of the issue of the day for a while. Because you can like the the seriousness of the issues, the the sensitivity, and obviously you know particularly in in this department, we're dealing with a lot of the legacy issues, which are incredibly sensitive, uh, incredibly difficult. 
Uh, and certainly I found, you know, they, they could be, you know, your, your decisions and your, your, your positions could be playing in your, around in your head again and again and again. So just particularly at night, kind of the, the, the old sleep is so important. You need to do something just to break that bit before you go to bed. So uh, a walk, a bit of a read and, and hopefully a good night's sleep is, is important. So the, the same as, as most of us, it was the, the walk and escapism to try and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and get through it. And I suppose, given that we are probably in uh, seeing the green shoots of things opening up and it's great to see children's sport back and it's great to see uh, at the moment the weather's a little bit nice and we've had a kind of a three-day heat wave and we're all optimistic and things are, are going well. The vaccination rollout seems to be doing its, its thing, which is great. How do we repair it for children? What do we do over the next six months or so to, because there is, there is a sense that children are resilient. And I, I sometimes think that can be sometimes an overplayed role that we kind of say that, but that doesn't mean we can't, we don't have to help, you know, and we, we, we have to yeah. do, do what we can, but, and, and I'm hearing a lot about children, obviously who are kind of, they're back into the swing of things, but they're just a bit all over the place after mm-hmm. being through, you know, very understandably so. And yeah. my, my kind of idea was like, unless we get to, no fourth surge and Halloween. That's really when we'll be able to see where we're at. But yeah, between now yeah, and then, no. how, how do we create something for children that in some ways keeps that optimism or momentum yeah. going for them? Well, look, there's, 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 a, there's a couple of ways. And I think, you know, in so much as last September, a lot of thought was put about uh, as regards to return to school, not just the, the health rules around that, but in terms of using the... Um, using parts of the curriculum to specifically address and talk to children um, about uh, about the you know their experiences and using resources to I suppose support those who are who are most vulnerable I know for example just talking to to, to traveler groups they've had a real concern about traveler young people t- returning to school and a significant drop off there you know children who were maybe always more vulnerable in terms of, of, of school attendance and school completion. Uh, and look, there's probably distinct things we can do there. But I think a lot, uh, we can plan a lot over this summer for the return to education next September. And I, I think we'll be able to do more in terms of a certainty that it will happen that maybe we, we didn't have last summer. I also think across the summer, though, there, it's important to do stuff. And just one small initiative my, my department are doing, recognising um, the importance of play for children uh, and recognizing the importance of the outdoors in terms of safety. We're, we're doing our, our summer of play campaign uh, and we've kind of two key elements to that so far. We've um, sponsored um, outdoor play facilities in every local authority uh, across the country. So it's just, just one or, or, or two, like it's, it's, but it's just, it's something. So I know in Fingal, in my own local authority, we're, we're doing a, a zip line, an outdoor zip line in, in one of the Fingal parks. You know, in, in Dublin City, out in Rings End, we're redoing one of the, 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 the playgrounds uh, out there. But we're also giving uh, grants to all early learning and care and childcare, uh, school-aged childcare provision settings across the country. So we're giving each one at least a thousand euro and a little bit more if they've large numbers to allow them buy equipment or, or do something to, to make provision for, for outdoor play. And look, it's, it's a small step, but uh, look, I know how... Um, you know, just just I've got I've learned a lot about the early learning and care and school age childcare over the last year, and I know how 
dedicated the childcare professionals are to supporting children uh, and, and conscious of the particularly hard time they've had. And just, you know, giving that little bit of extra provision, particularly for outdoor play, I think is, 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 is really valuable, is really worthwhile. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, 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 it was actually interesting. You know, I noticed it in my own children. We had the school return first. And of course, there was a great deal of joy around being able to see the pals and be with them. There's still the kind of bubbles and pods element mm. to it. But when the sport came back and it came back with a vengeance, like we'd rugby Tuesday and something else, Wednesday, something else. But there was a momentum lift in them. You know, the, this idea yeah. of being outside and just being able to yeah. run onto that field or to jump or to, you know, <clears throat> It was. Um, it really shows you that their learning is so physical. It's so visceral. Do you know what I mean? It is exactly, and and it's done best in the company of other children so much of the time. And that's certainly one of the things that has become so apparent to me during the crisis is the importance of youth services for, I suppose, for 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 older children and and then going into young people as well. Um, and again, we know from the research we did, those young people who engage with youth services during the crisis and most youth services went online. They they were they were very nimble in terms of, of continuing provision, uh, even this, even despite the, the the lockdown. But young people who engage with them have fared better. They've been more up. They are more optimistic about the future than if they hadn't been involved in, in youth services. And that's certainly something I, I'm, I'm looking to. You know, I was able, even in the budget last year, give a give a, a, a reasonable increase for for support uh, in funding for youth services, and I want to continue that because they do work. I suppose they do targeted work in areas or, or communities of particular disadvantage, but it's also there's universal youth work there as well, and, and and youth services that any child should have the opportunity to avail of uh, if they so want. So it's supporting both that that targeted and that universal element is really important. And I'm am I right in saying that the summer a play initiative would be for all children? So it's you know the children with additional needs and things will have some benefit from that as well because I do think you know we we see mainstream children's activities and camps and things like that and they're you know they're brilliant and fantastic mm -hmm. but um, I, I suppose the inclusivity and diversity we've had so much talk over the podcast in the last six. 12 months about you know those children who are maybe on the periphery or find it more difficult to to integrate and so uh, so these resources will be available to all children it's not um, again yeah, absolutely. And look, in terms of disability responsibility for disability coming to this department, and that's the disability from you know child to adult, uh, we're very clear of the need to broaden out the offering of services to to children with a disability. Um, obviously, we, we have the, the, the ECI scheme, which is hugely popular, the two-year preschool scheme, and children with additional needs can access that through AIM, the access and inclusion model. And that's been a really, really um, uh, important and really, really successful scheme. Uh, but, you know, we're aware that right now it's only offered to those children who are in ECI. They don't get it kind of prior to that and, and subsequent to that in school age childcare. So look, we're reviewing AIM at the moment and I certainly hope to, over the course of my time as minister, start to broaden that out so more of those young children can be supported in, in, in accessing elements of, uh, of the curriculum uh, and, 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 and courses and programmes that, that uh, children maybe w w without any disabilities are, are, are able to access right now. 
Yeah, it was, I, I actually attended a, a Rockdisk committee recently to, as a, I think they call you a witness, is that right, when you're yeah. talking to, um, and it was about, uh, I suppose, the impact of, of bullying on school-aged children, and my my angle on it was the exclusion one, because I think it's mm. really difficult to, it's really difficult to surveil it, to monitor it, and to even reprimand it, you know, because, you mm. know, how do you say to one child, you have to play with this other child, you know, and, and um, yeah. I think the the we've done so much in terms of inclusivity, diversity. We've come a long way, and there's a it's we've, we've talked about it so much. But I wondered about, and I don't have the answer, and I don't know either. But I think something about that culture of inclusivity that it's so important that we invest in that. Um, yeah. No, and on that point, I was meeting with um, Helium Arts, which are a group that uh, focus on, uh, I suppose arts for um, uh, children with maybe lifelong conditions or, or quite de de debilitating conditions. And, and they say there's about 11% of children ha have this impact, ha are impacted. So this could be something from, you know, diabetes or, or, or being in, in, in a wheelchair uh, to, um, to, to maybe more, more significant kind of life altering illnesses. And just one of the points they made was that these kids find it harder to make friends because they're at the edge, because maybe they're in hospital a lot, or because they're the kid with the wheelchair, they um, are, you know, maybe seen as, you know, not not the, the, a burden maybe on, on, on other children in the class, just to kind of at, at that early years. And, and that really kind of struck me as like, it is, you know, kids have kids kids with, with whether it's a physical or intellectual disability or, or a long-term illness, they've They've already been de dealt a hard card, but if, if they don't have friends around to support, that 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 can only make life kind of their enjoyment of life much much less. And uh, you know that that's I think that's you're kind of alluding that point in terms of whether it, whether it's through bullying, whether it's through disability, whether it's through illness, not being able to engage uh, fully with your with your peer group is really hard. And I, I appreciate you're a really busy minister, so I won't keep you much longer. But I would not ask you about what's your vision for the remainder of your term? Where, where are your, your big ticket items in terms of what you'd like to, to see change uh, while, while you, you're in office? At, uh, yeah, well, like obviously, as, as we said, there's huge fields to the department and in terms of, you know, uh, on record as, as our work on ending direct provision, addressing many of those legacy issues coming from, from mother and baby home, homes and other institutional abuse, or maybe just in the field of children, I suppose I, I, I want to broaden access to, I suppose, high quality early learning and care and school age childcare for, for children across the country, uh, make it accessible to those who have additional needs, make it accessible to those maybe from, from marginalized groups or marginalized communities who have, have difficulty accessing it at, at the moment. Uh, and I also want to uh, broaden access to um, youth services as well. I think that's, that, that, that's, that's really important. And another area that, that, that I'm passionate about is, is the issue of child poverty. Uh, and you know, it is a, a reality in this country numbers have fallen in recent years but there's still a very significant number of children living in consistent poverty in this country and again it is those who are more marginalized and i, I published a piece of research that my department did with the esri on monday and the impact of a, even a period spent in poverty for a child has 
lasting impacts as they get older. And we know that because we've used the, that growing up in Ireland survey, which I'm, I'm sure you're well familiar with, that a longitudinal survey that looks at this group of kids every number of years to trace their development. So I think measures to, to tackle child poverty as well is something on, on, in the children's area I, I, I really want to, uh, I'd like to see tangible decreases during my period in office. Uh, and again, the challenge of childhood poverty, I mean, have, is, there, is there evidence of the last year impacting negatively on that? Has that been, you know, uh, uh, has have those children who are on the margins become worse off as a result of the, the, the well, last year? Every, every part of society where people are in the margins, that they have become worse off during the pandemic. Like the pandemic has exacerbated all the existing uh, inequalities within our, our, our society. And whether that's on the basis of uh, income, on, on the basis of race, on the basis of gender, in all areas, we're seeing that. And I think we have to act very quickly. So again, my department is doing research on the impacts on children and young people. We're also doing it in, in terms of, uh, as Minister for Equality, uh, its impacts on women uh, and, and, and very conscious of, of an impact there. But no, absolutely, there have been impacts on, on, on the most uh, vulnerable, the most marginalized children. Um, and, you know, one of the bodies my department is responsible for is TUSLA, and we were able to get a very significant increase in TUSLA's uh, resources last year, conscious of the fact that during the pandemic, it was, it, and its social workers were again trying to support the most vulnerable uh, families and, and children. And uh, it's almost like, you know, as soon as we seem to be getting out of the, the pandemic, then we had that cyber attack issue that you know, yeah. kind of was an assault in the wound a little bit already. But I just would like to thank you for your time, Minister. I'd really learned a lot about the role and the expectation. And and again, kudos to yourself and your colleagues. And I'm sure there's plenty of people standing in the ditch who, who can be critical of decisions that, that you make and, and things that happen in, in, in higher echelons of government. But uh, I suppose from talking to you, I, I, I have an appreciation of how difficult those decisions are to make, you know, in, in terms of how how difficult and high, the high stakes involved in them. And uh, I just I really thank you for taking the time out of your, your, really, your hectic schedule to talk to us. And and I'm I really impressed by that Summer of Play initiative. I really think that's a really good idea. And, and let's hope we get the, the weather to enjoy the outdoor activities. But um on behalf Absolutely, of the no. Um, and look, thank you for, for the opportunity. And look, even for myself, it's you know, it's, it's kind of good to take that breath maybe and, and reflect on on what has been a, a crazy you know 14, 15 months. Um, and and particularly now as as we uh, all the signs are we're we're moving towards a, a, a better place, but conscious of, of what we've lost over the last a uh, number of months and, and the importance, particularly for children and young people, to really apply ourselves to making that back for them. Fantastic. And thank you very much. And if anyone has any questions that they'd like to get in, in, in touch with the podcast, please, you can email askingforapairment at gmail.com or get us through the Instagram, Facebook or, and uh, Twitter pages. But until the next time, that's been fantastic. Minister Roderick O'Gorman, thank you so much for your time. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. And here's to a lovely and enjoyable summer. And we'll catch up with you in a fortnight. But for now, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. And that was Minister Roderick O'Gorman. And it was really, uh, really appreciated him carving out the time in a, what is a very, very busy schedule to, uh, to chat to us and to, I suppose, find out a little bit more about his role, about maybe his... 
aspirations for the remaining term of his post and his summer initiatives that he had in mind that he wanted us to know about. It's really great over the course of the podcast, we have spoken to the Ombudsman for Children, Dr. Niall Muldoon. We've spoken to a senator in Senator Lynn Rowan and now the Minister for Children, Inclusion and Diversity and Youth in Roderick O'Gorman. So uh, I'm hoping that all these episodes are giving us all a bit of an insight into maybe the the purpose and function and experience of the people in these posts and get us to know these people a little bit better. Um, So thank you to Minister O'Gorman and thank you all for listening. And we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another Listener's Questions episode. So like I said, if you have any questions you want asked, get them on to us in askingforaparent at gmail.com or to the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages. And we will look forward to answering your questions in a fortnight's time. And hopefully I'll have another special guest to join me for that one. And until then, take care, stay safe. Bye for now.